2023, everybody. To, for me, it feels like a, a privilege, a real privilege to be able to be the one who gives the first message of 2023. And it's, it's exciting for me. And it's also exciting for me because um, we got this stage, like there's nothing here. And I tend to get excited energy and walk around. And so I've got nothing in my way. So, so this, is, this, is, this is pretty cool. Um, the message that I felt that God put on my heart today is really a basic message. I felt like for 2023, one of the best things that we can do right now is to really just kind of go back to the basics and remember the simple idea that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. He is the only sacrifice that is sufficient to be able to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. And so I really want to just kind of lean into that idea today. But to do that, I also want to kind of talk about something that we chuckle about that we, you would probably say is a, a little cliche. I want to talk about New Year's resolutions. I know, we've already talked about I've already heard people talking about them out in the lobby, and um, we've talked about them at home and everything like that. But, but the truth of the matter is, New Year's resolutions, one, they are a part of our American culture. It's something that we're, we're always doing at the beginning of the year. And really, by their very nature, they show us that there is something broken in our lives. It's something that we recognize, okay, I have some sort of brokenness and I need to fix it. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. You've all thought about, okay, we've gotten to the end of 2022, it's now 2023, and so I need to do something. And the typical one is I need to exercise, diet, go to the gym, right? We're all saying that because we all know what we ate during Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's. I'll tell you what, January, sorry, December 26th, I was already starting on this. For breakfast, I had an apple and a snickerdoodle, okay? <laughs> but just one snickerdoodle, at breakfast at least, right? But, you know, that's, that's how it goes. You know, we know we need to do something, but it's very hard to, to you know, just to put it really into action. And if we put it into, into church terms, in spiritual terms, we start saying things like, okay, this year I need to pray more. This year I, I need to read my Bible more. This year I need to join a small group. That's a shameless plug for your spirit, from your spiritual growth director here. Get into a small group. We will have Connection Sunday in a couple of weeks, and we'll get you guys plugged in. I found a few others that uh, I thought were a little interesting. I'll just throw a few out there. These are a few that I found on the internet. This one's appropriate. I resolve to pick fewer internet fights. Okay, you know who you are if you're doing it. We all chuckle at them, but we all know deep down inside we should not be getting into internet fights. If you're not going to fight for real, don't get into an internet fight, right? Okay, how about this one? Stop Googling symptoms. We just got out of the pandemic. We've all done this. We had a cough, and now we've got 500 different diseases in our body, according to the internet, right? This next one, I think this one is the person knows themselves very well. Live my best life and only buy pants without zippers and buttons, right? Why not just skip to the punch? I know I'm not going to make my resolution, so let's just get some better pants, right? Or this last one, and this one I can definitely connect with. I can definitely fulfill this one. Eat more tacos, okay? I like that resolution right there. That is one that's going to go a long way. So these are funny. They're fun, and I'm not making light of them. New Year's resolutions, you know, they are important. Like I said, they do show that there's something that needs to change in our lives. 
But at the same time, despite our good intentions, we all know that there's always been a problem with New Year's resolutions. They get broken, right? It's almost like we make New Year's resolutions with the intent of breaking them because no matter, there's, no matter what, something's going to happen along the way. You know, they get broken. We put them off until the following year. You know what I'm talking about. You say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to exercise. So maybe like January, you spend your money on the gym. He's all offering like severe discounts because they know they're going to make a ton of money from people who don't actually show up. But you decide to do it anyway. And for January, you're really good. You're giving in, you know, to, to the resolution. You're not giving in to the eating. But then February comes, life continues on, and all of a sudden, you're eating bad again. You're not going to the gym like you should. You're like, oh, man. And maybe go back for like a little bit longer. But then you stop again. And then you just get all the way through the year, and you're like, I forgot about my resolution. So this 2024, this is the year. This year, I mean it, right? And then what happens? The same thing happens, and then in 2025, what do we say? This year, I really mean it. 2026, I really, really mean it. Because that word really is just a magical word that's going to make everything better, right? As long as we add more reallys to it, it's eventually going to happen. But what the reality is, is that it's a broken cycle. We make a resolution, we break the resolution. The next year, we make the resolution, and it just is a cycle. It's a repetitive cycle. So as I was thinking about this, I found that there's actually a similar cycle in the Bible. See, ancient Israel had a similar cycle that they were going through all the way back to when they were first wandering through the wilderness. So to, to get into this, we're going we're gonna to look at this cycle, and then we're going to compare that to what God did about. We're going to be in both the Old Testament and the New Testament today. So if you will, we're going to go to the book of Leviticus. Book of Leviticus is easy to get to. It's the third book in the Bible. You just go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and you're there. And let's meet together at chapter 23. Now, I really got excited when I was studying this. I know Leviticus sometimes, when it comes from a preaching standpoint, can get a bad rap because like, oh, I don't want to go through Leviticus. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations. And guess what it is? But when you compare it, especially to what we're going to do today, when you compare it to the New Testament, you see how amazing God is and how he was preparing all of his people for something much greater. So we're going to talk today about two festivals. We're going to be in Leviticus 23. and We're going to start at verse 23. And to start off, we're going to read about the Feast of Trumpets. Now, how does this connect with New Year's resolutions? If you're a little familiar with Feast of Trumpets, you might be, you might not be, but maybe, especially if you're a teacher, you might be a little bit more familiar with this date of, of this year, September 15th through the 17th of 2023. That's when the Feast of Trumpets will be celebrated because it's Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year, an incredibly important time for the Jewish people. Let's read about it here, verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So the idea here, this is the beginning of the new year for the Jewish people. 
Now, it fell on a Sabbath, but it was even greater. It was kind of known as like a super Sabbath of sorts. It was a day in which people were, they were praying, they were fasting, they were preparing. It was also the day that started 10 days of holiness and 10 days of repentance. So instead of just having one New Year's Day celebration, they would have 10 days of celebrations. And this was the start of it all. And during that time, they would have trumpet blasts. And those trumpet blasts reminded the people that God was still in their midst, that their king and deliverer was still part of who they are. So this was a a, a great time. This was a celebratory time for the people. Now, we move to the next verses, and if you're following along in your Bible, it might have a footnote saying that we're now in the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, this is Yom Kippur. That will be happening this year on... um, Uh, I believe, yeah, the 24th through the 25th of September this year. So let's read about this one. Verse 26 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. So the Day of Atonement wraps up these 10 holy days. It is the last and it is absolutely the most important day. But to understand why it's so important, we need to understand what that word atonement means. So atonement, that's that's what the word kippur is in Hebrew. That's the Hebrew word for atonement. And it comes from a couple of different variants. And these variants, they say that this is a word that has to do with making a ransom for something or making propitiation. That's a word that we've heard about a couple of times when we were uh, studying Romans. And uh, it basically means that something wrong has happened and somebody needs to make payment for it. It's also atoning for sin to persons by legal rights. There's a, le- there's a legality that is happening here. You can think about it in the sense of you're, you're before a judge and he's got all of your parking violations and all of your speeding tickets, all of your traffic violations, and he's just looking through them all and you've done them all. You are guilty of these. And he's just looking at them all and he's adding them all up. He's like, all right, well, based on you've got like 10 parking violations, 15 speeding violations, maybe a few more if it's Kevin that's driving. And then he's going to give you your fine and you've got to pay it. And if you don't pay it, you know what's going to happen. And that's what atonement really is all about. Something wrong has been done and a payment needs to be made. So how are the people going to atone for their sins? To get into that, we would be here way too long. We'd be going through a lot of rules and regulations because God is very specific about what they're supposed to do. But the idea is they had to bring a lot of sacrifices. First of all, they had to bring, for the two sacrifices combined, they had to bring two bulls, two rams, two goats, 14 male lambs, a grain offering, a drink offering, a burnt offering. They had to bring a ton of stuff, and they had to do it every single year. That's a lot. Now, I just want to try and paint the quick snapshot here. Like I said, we can't go through all of it because we just don't have enough time. If you want to see it more in detail, Leviticus 16 and Numbers 29 is where I'm pulling this information from. So like I said, they've given all of these sacrifices. They brought all of these here, and the high priest is now receiving them. 
the first thing that happens is the high priest has to make an offering for himself because he's, just, he's a human being. He's just like us. He's no greater. He's no less. He's just a man. So he gets a bull. He slaughters the bull. And then he is given new clothes because he is going to enter into what is known as the Holy of Holies. We have a picture up here of what this looked like. This is a map of what the, taper, the, sorry, the tabernacle, the tent, looked like when Israel was still in the wilderness. Eventually, it became the temple. But for now, we're talking about the tabernacle. And you can see it's set up in three parts. You've got the outer courtyard, and that's where most anybody can go. The holy place, less people. It's very specific. Only certain people can go there. And then the holy of holies, nobody can go in there. It has here a veil and that veil is separating God from man because God is perfect, God is holy, and even though he is with his people, they are broken, we are broken, we are imperfect, and we cannot be in his presence because unholiness will die in the presence of holiness. Yet on this day, the Day of Atonement, that is when the high priest is allowed to go in. He brings a sacrifice in, and it's actually so specific, and I would say so scary, that they would tie a rope around him, put a few bells on it, so that way while he's walking, he can give a little jiggle just to say, hey, I'm alive. Because if he dies in there, nobody can go and get him. No one else is allowed in at this time. And it could be he dies because he messed up the sacrifice, and God's like, boom, you messed up, you're out of here. Or he just dies of old age. I don't know, that's still God's will. But either way, they got to be able to get him out of there. So just one time a year, he goes in to make atonement for himself and then to make atonement for the sins of all of the people for all of that particular year. To finish this off, there are two goats. And these two goats are brought before the high priest and the high priest casts lots. I don't know, just think like they did like rock, paper, scissors back then or something. And they decided on, you know, which goat is going to be slaughtered. And then they decide on which goat the other goat is going to be set free. This goat that is set free, the high priest lays both of his hands on it. This is the only time when the high priest lays both hands. Usually it's just one hand, but this time it's both. There's a big significance about this. Because what he's doing is he is saying all of the sins that are in the camp of Israel are being laid on this goat. Then he hands the, sends this goat with another person who takes the goat out of the camp, never to be seen again. This is where we get our word scapegoat from. The sin has been carried out of the camp. All of Israel has been cleansed. The tent has been cleansed. And now they're able to continue on. So I just want to put ourselves in this situation. Just imagine that we are in this camp and the day of the Feast of Trumpets is happening. We've got these 10 days of festivities. We're getting ready for the Day of Atonement. It's the very first year. God has given command to the people of what to do. And so there's a time of just expectation and preparation. People are thinking like, we get to make sacrifice to God. And if we do it right, he is going to accept our sacrifice. And we're going to be okay because let's face it, we've messed up. We've complained after we've left Egypt. We've told God that we want to go back to Egypt. He's been angry with us. We made the golden calf. But yet he is giving us a way to make up for our sins. So yeah, we're going to lean into this. And we're going to hear the trumpet blast. And it's going to be exciting. I'm going to be like, oh my goodness, God is in our camp. 
I'm going to tell my kids, my, my son, he's going to be like, Dad, why is the trumpet being blown? Well, son, let me tell you about when we left Egypt. Let me tell you what God has done in our lives, and he is still with us. People are excited. People are leaning into this. The verses say that the people were afflicted. It doesn't mean that they were, um, they were like beating themselves physically or anything like that. It means that they were in serious prayer and fasting. They were giving not just their sacrifices, but they were giving their hearts to God. There was real excitement in the camp this year. It was an amazing time. Then we get to the second year, and everyone's excited again. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to bring the sacrifices. We're going we're gonna to give our all to God. And then we get to the third year. Yeah, we're going to do it. Then we get to the fifth year. We're like, yeah, this is great. We get to the tenth year. All right, do I have enough bulls? We get to the fiftieth year. Does anybody remember what we're celebrating this for again? I know I got to do it. We get to the hundredth year. Okay, let's just make sure we have a lot of food because we're going to eat and eat and eat until we have to resolve that we need to go to the gym and exercise. I don't know if Israel did that, but, um, you know, they just, somewhere along the way, Israel got stuck in a cycle, in a broken cycle in which they were no longer, they no longer had their hearts in their sacrifices. It became dry, it became routine, and God saw this. And so God began to send his prophets to tell them, hey, you guys, you got a problem over here. Check out some of the words that he said here. In Micah, <clears throat> Micah chapter 6, says, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The people were like, all right, how many bulls do you want this time, God? How many rams? He's like, I don't want the rams. I want your hearts. But the people were missing it. In Amos, he says this, and, and just hear these words because it's seeping with sarcasm here. Amos chapter 4, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Like, all right, before I bring my bull... Before I bring my ram, let me just make sure I snap a picture real fast and post on Facebook. Look at how good my bull is, everybody. It's the perfect bull this year. Hey, should we continue to go and just like mess up because we're going to be going and atoning for our sins? Paul said, they hadn't heard these words yet, but Paul had said, shall we continue to sin so grace can abound? Of course not. But that's what they were doing. They were going on, they were making atonement for their sins. But then they would go on and continue in the same sin that they were atoning for, knowing that they would get back to the next day of atonement and sin, and then just make atonement and then sin again. Make atonement, sin again. You know, I resolve to eat better. I eat worse. I resolve to eat better. I eat worse. It was a broken system. See, New Year's resolutions and this sacrificial system that God had put in place were the same in this. 
They're great in identifying that there are broken things in our lives, but they are never enough to actually erase our sin and put us in a right relationship with God. Now, why is that? It's because in both of these scenarios, it's all about what we are bringing to God. And even if we have the most perfect lamb, the most perfect bull, the most perfect goats, it's still coming from broken hands. No matter how many prayers we pray, no matter how many Bible studies we go to, no matter how often we come to church, no matter how many little old ladies we help across the streets, it will never, ever be enough to appease the wrath of God because we are still walking in sin. Now I realize all of a sudden this message has just took, uh, taken a real bad turn. If you're here for the first time and you're hearing this message, you're like, yeah, I don't want to hang out with this. <laughs> Please stay because I promise you good news is coming. We're about to turn the page here. So it doesn't work. Bringing the goats doesn't work. Doing good works does not work to save us. So what are we supposed to do? The answer is nothing. Now, I'm not trying to say that we should not be doing work in our lives. If you need to lose weight, go lose weight, right? God's not going to snap his fingers and make you all of a sudden have a better trim line or waistline, right? But God also saw the problem, and he did something. If you know Jesus, you know where I'm going with this. He sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that the Day of Atonement was actually preparing all of creation for. So check this out. We're going to now... Um, I'm going to go fast here, but we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is so exciting, especially when you understand what the Day of Atonement is all about, because the author in Hebrews, he sees the Day of Atonement, and he says, this was just a shadowing of things to come. And he uses this old system and compares it to who Jesus really is. So I'm going to read a few verses, and we're, we're going to jump around a bit here, but it's going to get really cool. So I'm going to be here in Hebrews uh, 10, just starting in the first verse. And it says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. There it is right there. The law is just a shadow, a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? The author's point is simple. If this really changed us, if it really took away our sins, there would, not have, there would be no need to continue to sacrifice every single year. But the fact that there is a sacrifice every year, the fact that there is still a day of atonement, shows that sin is still in our lives. Going on. <clears throat> but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says it very clear right there. There's, these animals cannot save us. But let's jump down to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Once again, doesn't matter how many sacrifices you have, doesn't matter how many priests you have. You can have a thousand priests, it's not going to be enough. Verse 12. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All those sacrifices that had been made were not enough, but Jesus, by one single sacrifice, he was enough. He still is enough. I'm going to jump over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Okay, this is where I start to get really excited. Remember we talked about that temple? We talked about a veil. I want you to keep that in mind right now. We're going to read another verse. We're going to go over to, to chapter 9. I'm going to start at verse 11 here. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. One, says, Christ appeared as a high priest. Now, the high priest could only come from the tribe of Levi because he was descended from Aaron. Aaron was a Levite. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, but he's still being called the high priest. Later, he's called the great high priest. So one, the author is showing us that Jesus is greater than Aaron, but then he even shows it in another way. He says that Jesus entered into the holy of holies. But he didn't go in having sacrificed an animal. He went in by his own blood, by his own sacrifice, showing that he was a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that could exist in the presence of God. Now, this is an analogy here. Jesus didn't literally go into the Holy of Holies, but he did do something else. So... I'm going to give like a quick little Easter message right here. The gospel writers, when they're writing, they're so specific. And when Jesus dies on the cross, there's an earthquake. And the, the earthquakes, the earth shatters, tombs are open, but the temple also shakes. And the gospel writers here, they are so specific about this curtain. They're saying, okay, we've got this curtain. It's a big curtain. It's an ornate curtain. It's a thick curtain. It's nobody can reach it without getting way up there. But... When this earthquake happens, when Jesus dies on the cross, it says that the curtain is torn from top to bottom. It's as if God himself had grabbed this curtain and just ripped it in half and is saying, this sacrifice is enough. And now man and God have a relationship that has been restored. There is no curtain that is separating us from God anymore because Jesus is enough. He is enough. I love it. Where am I at here? 13 to 15. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus was enough for everything that happened even before his time. He has always been enough. The old way was just letting us know 
who Jesus was really going to be. So Jesus being our perfect sacrifice, our all-sufficient sacrifice, what does that mean for us? What are the benefits of this? There's a lot of benefits. But I want to categorize them in two areas. One we've kind of just talked about here, and that is Jesus, he has provided us the benefit of the forgiveness of our sins. He did that by dying on the cross and raising from the grave three days later. But this is not some fire insurance. It's not a life insurance plan that you only get to cash in once you die. No, we get this benefit now because Jesus didn't just die for, the, for, for our sins, but he also died for the results of sin, the, the brokenness that is in this world. And we're all broken. There's not a single person here who can say, I'm not broken. Or maybe you're like, you know, I'm not really broken. I'm just a little broken. Well, that's like saying, well, that car is a wreck and it's going to take forever to fix. And that car has a flat tire and I can fix it in five minutes. Well, guess what? They both need to be fixed. So that means that they are both broken. Whether you have a lot of brokenness or a little bit of brokenness, we're all broken. And Jesus came for that brokenness. He says this about himself in Luke chapter 4, quoting the prophet Isaiah here in verse 18 and 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, this is our salvation, to be free. To be free from the penalty of sin, but also from the brokenness in this world, whatever that may be. Whatever you're struggling with, depression, anxiety, uh, uh, adultery, diseases. He has said that you can be free of those things. And that doesn't mean they're going to just like instantly disappear, but he is going to be with you to walk through them. Whether you were healed or whether you were not healed, you can be free. Because you don't have to have your identity in that sickness that you're dealing with. You can have an identity in the Savior who has set you free from that brokenness. Jesus has come to set the captives free. The second benefit is this. He gives us the benefit of having a relationship with him. Think about that for a second. A relationship with God himself. With the creator of the universe. Him knowing you. And you knowing him deeply and intimately. And maybe you're thinking that's not possible. Well, let's just compare this for a second to just like a celebrity, for example. Just think about your celebrity crush. I'm going to use because the World Cup just passed. Let's just use Lionel Messi. Greatest uh, soccer player ever. Sorry for those of you who are real soccer fans, football player ever. And he's just won the World Cup. He's one of the greatest ever. You love him. You're writing letters to him. You know, Lionel, you're the best. Messi, you are awesome. You are great. I'm going to name my firstborn Lionel. I'm going to name my secondborn Messi. And he gets this letter from you. And he's looking. He's like, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. He's just going to crumple it up and toss it aside. Now, I'm not trying. Maybe Messi's a great guy. Maybe he does respond to him. I don't know. But even if he does respond... Does Messi know you? Do you know Messi? Yet we can know God and God knows us. Look at this again in Hebrews chapter 4, 
Verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a great high priest who knows us and sympathizes with us. Imagine that you had a, something like deep going on. You have a sin that you need to talk to somebody about. You need to get it right. And you're in line to bring your goat to Aaron. And you get to him and you're like, Aaron, here's my goat. But I also need to talk to you about something because there's, I've just got this problem in my life. And Aaron's like, yo, buddy, look behind you. Look at the line of all the people who need to bring their goats for sacrifice. I don't have time to talk with you. But Aaron, like, no, is your goat good? Yeah. All right, get out of here, Cade. You're bothering me. The, the priest had no time for that. Yet Jesus it says here, he can sympathize with us. He was tempted as we were tempted and he survived the temptation. So whatever you are facing, don't ever think that there is no one who can sympathize or empathize with you because Jesus can. He overcame sin in this world. So you might have something going on. You're like, no one will understand me. No one's ever sinned like I have sinned. Well, one, don't believe that lie. Because you're not unique in that only you have sinned your sin. But Jesus knows it and he will work with you through it. There might be consequences you have to face. But he will be with you. You can have a relationship with him. So as we wrap up, I want to leave us with a, a few challenges. First, I want to say, hey, make your resolutions. If you need something in your life, you need to change something, you need to lose weight, you need to get to the gym, go ahead and do it. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying that we shouldn't be involved in, in what, we, what we do. Jamie, you can come on up. We need to, we need to lean in to, to being healthy and strong. But I would also say this. If you're making resolutions to stop Twitter fighting, to eat better, also resolve to make Jesus first in all of these things. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it with thanks to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Make him first. Because when you make him first, things that felt burdensome can become joyful. We're no longer going to the altar just kind of dragging our sacrifice, like, oh, I gotta do this again. We're like, no, I can't wait to do this because I love my Lord because he loves me and he loved me first. I promise you, give it a try. When you make Jesus first over everything, and I mean everything, over how you drive, over how you eat, over how you talk to your spouse, over how you write things on Facebook, over how you worship, you're going to see a change. Second is this. If you are a Christ follower, I want you to think about this question. It's one I meant to ask earlier, but I, I forgot about it. See, Israel, they had lost their excitement for Jesus or for, for God being in their midst. They didn't really care that much more about the, the sacrifice. They'd forgotten about it. Have we sometimes done the same? Ask yourself this question. I'm asking myself this question a lot right now. Are you still excited about your salvation. As we begin 2023, let's, let's take some time to, to just think about where we're going this year. Take a moment to evaluate how you are following. Could you have been, even just a little bit, has it run just a little bit dry? 
It happens to all of us. It happens to me. I'm sure it happens to the other directors and pastors that are here. It does happen. But maybe we should start out 2023 saying, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm not going to be dry anymore if I am dry. I'm not excited about my salvation, but I want to get excited again about my salvation. Well, I encourage you then, read those verses that I, I mentioned in, um, in uh, Micah 6, 6 through 8 and Amos 4, 4 through 5 and see, is that me? Is that who I've become? And then ask God. Say, God, help me to come alive again. He will answer you because he knows you and he loves you and he died on the cross for you. So let's take a moment as we start 2023 just to, just to kind of think about that. And if you need a space here to kneel down, kneel down. If you need someone to, to say, I need someone to pray for me, you know, I'm not going to make this like, okay, like, you know, just get the directors. You got someone right next to you. You got a spouse, you got a friend. Maybe somebody you don't know, but you can still talk to them. Let's take this time.